Welcome to Planners for the Planet. We are your hosts, Candice Tulsaram and Natalie Lowe, self-proclaimed eco-warriors, climate optimists, and passionate event professionals. Tune in as we talk to a wide variety of event and environmental professionals for practical information and inspiration on how to reduce your impact on the environment and become a more sustainable event professional. This podcast is delivered in bite-sized chunks to help you digest the information and expand your knowledge on climate action in a way that doesn't overwhelm you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Planners for the Planet. It's Candice here, and today I'm flying solo, and I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, uh, Amy Robinson from Second Harvest. And for those of you who followed TSEF's journey since we've started in 2019, you'll know that we love working with the folks over at Second Harvest. We love what they represent and the impact that they're making in terms of food waste. So just want to get right into it today. Uh, we have a lot to talk to Amy about um, as it you know, pertains to food waste and food recovery, but I'll give you a quick rundown on who Second Harvest is. Second Harvest is Canada's largest food rescue organization and a global thought leader on food loss and waste. And they've been helping rescue and redistribute surplus edible food for over 35 years. Last year alone, they helped rescue over 41 million pounds of food that was redistributed to communities from coast to coast. That's such an impressive statistic. Um, And a bit about Amy. Amy is the food procurement manager over at Second Harvest. She focuses on assisting businesses across the country to donate their surplus edible food using Second Harvest's fleet and warehouse operation, as well as through their food rescue app, which we'll learn a bit more about uh, as we go through this conversation. With over a decade of experience in the hospitality industry, she's worked in restaurants, hotels, and events. Amy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to join me. I'm really looking forward to diving into our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. So why don't we just get right into it? Um, I know that you guys have been putting out some really wonderful and really statistic jaw-dropping stuff in your reports for the last three years. And your most recent report called Wasted Opportunity um, talks a lot about uh, the fact that there is so much food that is not redistributed and uh, recovered. I think the statistic is like only 4% of surplus edible food is redistributed to charitable food networks. And the rest sadly either gets thrown into a landfill or goes to animal uh, feed or you know used to make biofuels. So let's talk a bit about that most recent report. Can you walk us through some of the highlights of the report um, for specifically for venues and hotel people that are listening and event professionals that are listening today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, this is uh, our third uh, report in our series of reports. Um, and we've worked again with VCMI, uh, Value Chain Management International, to collect the data for this report, Wasted Opportunity. Um, so together we identified how much surplus edible food is being wasted by the food industry. So kind of up and down uh, the food chain. Um, and the research really drills into what types of surplus edible food is being wasted um, and what industries uh, it comes from. So we found that of the top five 
categories of food, uh, which are protein, produce, dairy, grain, and then we have kind of an other category that encapsulates sort of everything else. Um, We found an average of about 40% of operators said that they have surplus food. Uh, And this is nutritious food that could feed, you know, Canadians um, instead of going to landfills. Uh, So in another one of our reports, we kind of found that um, it's estimated that one in eight families and as many as one in five families since the pandemic started um, are experiencing food insecurity. And this is approximately 4 million Canadians. Uh, so a lot of people um, are experiencing kind of food insecurity across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we were sort of uh, working with VCMI and collecting this research, we found that um, it's about 3.2 million tons or 124,000 tractor trailer loads of food that is actually wasted every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this sort of stat speaks to what you were saying. Uh, the hospitality industry wastes about 96% of the food that is produced for it. Um, so really only donating uh, 4% of that food that is produced. Um, so this is obviously where the, the biggest opportunity for impact is, especially kind of um, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, events are are happening again. I keep saying that this is like the summer of weddings and, oh my gosh, yes. and celebrations. Yes. Everything um, is coming back with a vengeance, right? Like events. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's just a great opportunity to sort of relook at the system, see yeah. uh, and just see where where things could be adjusted. So if I could step back for a second, for those who are, you know, I'm going to assume we have a few listeners who don't have a lot of knowledge about food waste and food recovery. Some do, some don't, right? For a first time you know, listener wondering, what, what does, how do you define surplus edible food? How do you guys define that at Second Harvest so that they know that, you know, from their events, their conference, they understand what it is they need to procure, to donate? Sure. Yeah. So it's surplus edible food is kind of a, a broad uh, category of food. It's essentially anything that um, is still edible could still be uh, consumed. Um, so we sort of look at that as, uh, you know, not, uh, I hate to say what it's not, but it, it's almost easier to list that. Um, so like not plate waste. Um, so not things that have already been plated and sort of served to guests, but it would be like um, items from the event that, uh, you know, didn't make it out to the buffet table, didn't didn't hit the trays to be passed. Mm-hmm. Um, items like that that you've sort of kept back because you knew that they weren't, um, you might not go through them um, and haven't sort of been served to guests. Right. Um, so that's kind of specifically uh, event and uh, restaurant wise in other places, you know, it's, it's maybe items, um, ingredients that are, are hitting their best before dates, um, which is kind of a, one of those big things that we talk about, um, which you can still actually donate items that have, um, are going to hit their best before date as long as they're kept within sort of that cold chain, as, as long as they're kept um, at the proper temperature, you know, they're right. not opened. Um, so if you have any items in your fridge that or freezer that, you know, uh, we're not going to serve this to guests, but I don't want to see it go to waste. You can actually donate that, uh, those items. Um, Typically organizations in our communities, uh, when they receive a donation, they're going to eat it within 24, 48 hours. Um, Mm -hmm. So you kind of don't have to be too worried that somebody's going to, you know, 
keep it over the next year uh, with the need that we've seen. Um, as soon as, you know, donations and, and food hits these organizations, uh, they're being, it's being used. It's a great use. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. No, that's very helpful. Um, because I know when I first started educating myself around food waste and food recovery, and we've heard this a lot, especially from fellow planners, is the reason we are, are not 100% confident that we can do this We've all heard about the liability issues with donating food and whatnot. You know, we've heard, you know, all these things that we use as reasons to prevent us from doing what we know at the end of the day is the right thing to do. So going back to statistic, you mentioned earlier that, you know, looking at where that surplus edible food comes from. Um, and is not properly used. You mentioned the hospitality industry and restaurants. It was like 90 something percent. You said, why do you think, you know, I just mentioned the liability issue or concern. What, what are some of the reasons that people you know, verbalize as to why they don't feel as confident in being part of a program like food recovery? Is it, you know, a cost thing? Is it the stigma around surplus food. What are some things you guys discovered when doing this report as the reasons? Yeah. Um, so we, we did sort of discover that uh, best before date policies or sort of misunderstandings around, around best before dates um, definitely contributed to um, maybe a hesitancy um, to donate. Nobody wants to, you know, um, donate and then uh, you know, be held liable or, or if anything happens, you, you want to make sure, you know, being in a restaurant and, and um, serving guests and serving food, you want to make sure that the, the food is of the best quality of the best service uh, possible. That's kind of the goal of, you know, any, anywhere that I've ever worked where we serve food. Um, mm -hmm. So I think just understanding sort of best before dates and the fact that if, uh, you know, if that cold chain has been respected, um, that the food can still absolutely be donated. Um and sort of as well as that, there is legislation in every single province that does protect donors as long as they're making donations in good faith. Um, and actually something that I just learned, um, which is kind of amazing, is that no one's actually ever been found liable in North America. So Canada or or the U.S., which is a, a pretty big one um, yeah. for donating and, and being held liable for actually making someone sick from yeah. donating. And I think um, that that education and making people aware of that is probably key to that because we all, you know, we've heard of the Good Samaritan and Food Donation Acts, the legislations. Um, but it's interesting that there's never been a case that anyone's been held liable. So people just need to know that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the other part of it is you can, you can make a donation and the organization that's picking it up always has the option to refuse the donation. Right. If they come and they look at it and you say, you know what, I don't think that this food, um, I don't actually think that it's edible or I, you know, I think that it's past its prime. Um, they, they have the ability to sort of say no as well. Um, so there's a lot of sort of shared responsibility there. Mm -hmm. Um, another sort of barrier that we found was the, the perceived lack of financial benefit. Um, so there currently are no tax incentives in Canada um, for donating surplus food, which is obviously kind of the big one and, and where everybody's mind goes when you're donating. Um, but there are definitely uh, financial benefits. You know, there's a reduction in uh, tipping fees as well as your environmental impact uh, and social impact as well. Um, when I was managing restaurants, you know, it was 
it was say good luck wherever you can. So if, if I could, uh, if I could have one less, you know, garbage pickup a week, then that's going to, that's going to add up over the, over a year. And especially if we're using, you know, a free service to donate food, then it also feels really great um, when you're, you're making the donation and you know that you're having positive environmental impact as well. Yeah. And I, I think, um, didn't you guys have a rescue program uh, where the government, Canadian federal government had donated, I forget the amount, but um, for you to support nonprofit organizations to help them purchase and redistribute the f- surplus food? We did. Yeah. I can't speak to it too much. It was before I started and um, sort of during the height of COVID, uh, but it was a pretty successful program that was um, sort of nationally run. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It was, it was in the whole sort of, it sort of fit in our, our mission of no waste, no hunger um, where, uh, yeah, we got, we got grants and we were able to share them with organizations who were then able to uh, purchase this food that would otherwise be wasted. And then of course, um, the the donors obviously um you know were uh, had profit from that so yeah definitely uh that that was a great program i'm assuming it's no longer happening right but it's something great that you can help those nonprofits with those transactional costs that's involved in recovery um more programs like that i feel are needed right in our industry to help people cover the burden of cost around this yeah absolutely and it was you know, a great sort of team effort uh, between the government, between Second Harvest, as well as between, you know, provinces and organizations. So it's, and, and donors, of course, too. So it's kind of that like bit of the dream where everybody gets together, everybody's on the same page, everybody has the same goal. Right. Um, which doesn't always happen. Yeah. And when you're dealing with an issue as big as food waste, um, and going back to that statistic that, you know, more than 4 million Canadians experience food insecurity and hunger. And that stat, I think, came from 2021. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just the, it, it, that stat alone just highlights the scope of this problem. So, the more we can collaborate and work towards reducing that number, I, I personally feel it should be at the top of everyone's list and in ways we can help um, reduce that as an industry. And that's one of our focus this year at TSCF is really educating people around food waste at events and understanding what it means and the impact that you have when you do it, because everybody likes a feel good story. So if you can translate that um, as part of your event storytelling and legacy, I think for the event planners listening, that's a big win. Yeah. Yeah. You got that right. And, and, you know, in the days of, um, you know, uh, labor issues and, people maybe being hesitant to come back to work or, you know, they've maybe left the industry. It's really great um, where you can sort of involve your staff um, in these maybe new programs or sort of new ways of thinking and um, help to, you know, get them involved in like champion your food rescue and show them that they can have an impact too. Um, I remember working in restaurants and just being a bit heartbroken at the amount of food that we you know, that would come back on the plates and would have to to go in the bin and feeling like you really had no control over it. So I yeah. think, you know, yeah, giving giving just a little bit of that, giving power, giving power to the people. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, exactly. And we shared in our newsletter this week um, an idea we saw on LinkedIn that at a conference there was a whiteboard in, you know, 
wherever in the meeting room where the food or foyer where the food was being served, they put up a statistic about the previous day's events and how much food was wasted. And that number was big and bold. And then right below that, they said, this could have fed X amount of families had it not wasted. And they're challenging the attendees on the second day of the conference to try to reduce those numbers. And they shared that whiteboard with those numbers every day for the conference to get the attendees, well, a attention, but to change their actions in terms of how much food are you loading onto your plate at the buffet? Mm -hmm. Take what you can eat, waste not, want not sort of philosophy there. And we found that really an easy thing event planners can do at their event because it's 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 right in your face. Like you can't miss the sign as you're in line at the buffet. And it really, those numbers impact you. And so then you're like, okay, how can we as attendees change that for the next few days? So stuff like that, I think, you know, just putting it out there, making people more aware and educating them is such a huge little thing that we can do as well. It's just a sign with a couple numbers, a whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And we've worked with partners who have, um, you know, donated their surplus that they had after their conferences just to sort of, you know, like walk the walk and talk the talk. Like if this is going to be our, our priority, then it starts kind of with us. It starts like right here, right now. So let's at this conference where we're discussing, you know, our goals for the next year, let's sort of put one of them into play right now and donate what we can at the end of this event, which is, uh, I think that's, it's just beautiful. So from the report, so we've talked a bit about what the problem is, um, who are the main contributors to those numbers, some of the obstacles that you've run into with why people hesitate, but what are some of our solutions? Um, Can you identify a few of those to help reduce that, um, or I guess improve that recovery rate in our industry? Yeah, for sure. So um, definitely understanding that the legislation does exist that protects donors. Um, so if you are, you know, making a donation in good faith that you you are protected, as well as knowing that um, the agency is going to do their part to make sure that the food that they're accepting um, is still edible and, and nutritious for their programs as well. Um, and just kind of understanding best before dates um, and how they can be used to inform sort of when food can be donated as well as consumed. We worked with uh, the CFIA to create create a, a best before timetable that we use with all of our donors and agencies that has a column um, that lists when food can be donated. Um, you know, if it's if it has to be donated before it hits the best before date or if it can be donated after the best before date and sort of how it needs to be kept in order to to still sort of keep the quality and then the length of time that it can be kept kind of at that temperature um, and still be consumed, uh, which is just a, a really great resource. Like I literally share it with everyone um, yes. because it, it really paints a picture of sort of what you can donate, when you can donate it, um, and then when you can consume it. Um, and then as well, uh, using the food recovery hierarchy. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a funnel um, I'm not sure if... if Oh, you beat me to it. I was just going to point that. (laughs) That came up at our Earth Day for event people. Um, I think in our post communications, we shared that recovery hierarchy image. Um, And actually, I think we should probably put that up on our website if it's not already there. But yeah, we absolutely, when we saw this, that infographic, we were blown away because it's so simplistic for someone to just understand. I'll let you explain it a bit more because you're probably more articulate at doing it, but... (laughs) 
um, for those listening, we'll, we'll drop a link as well to where we can share that with them. Yeah, for sure. So it's a, it's a really great sort of upside down funnel, I'll call it, um, to inform you how you can reduce your surplus and waste. And the first step is, uh, reducing the volume of waste created um, by serving from a smaller menu or serving, um, you know, smaller portion portion sizes. In the case of an event, it would be just maybe slowing service just a little bit or not maybe putting out quite as much on the buffet. Um, Of course, I understand how how that means that somebody does need to sort of manage uh, when the food goes out. Um, but sort of just seeing seeing if you can reduce it from sort of the top from that very beginning. Um, and then the next step would be when you do notice that you have surplus, um, making sure that it goes to feed people. Um, we've demonstrated, you know, the need uh, one in eight and up to, a, you know, one in five Canadian families, which is four million uh, people every single year could use that food. Um, and I mean, no, no donation is too small. Um, we move five pounds a day on our, on our food rescue app. We also move like 10,000, 20,000 pounds a day. Um, so no donation is too small. It, it will find a home. Um, I mean, that's my job. So, <laughs> um, and then sort of moving down the food recovery hierarchy, once we've, uh, given as much as we can to people, then it's moving on to kind of, um, feeding animals, composting, um, using sort of alternative measures so that, uh, basically none of the food ends up in landfill because as soon as it's in landfill, we can't really do anything about it. It's going to create methane gas. Um, and it's just, it's going to be a negative, uh, impact on the environment. Right. Yeah. The, we speak a lot about the composting. Natalie is like a composting guru. (laughs) Um, if anyone wants tips on composting, definitely drop her an email because she'll she'll talk for you all for days about composting. <laughs> so yes, thank you for sharing um, that information about the hierarchy. I think it's really important visual for people to, in the pre-planning stages of planning an event. And that's the other thing I find that it's usually an afterthought when you've done your BEOs and you've done it like, mm-hmm. oh wait, what do we do with all this food waste after? It consciously, I think, uh, speaking from a planner perspective, that it consciously has to be part of your pre-event planning, setting up those mass metrics for how much food waste you want to reduce from your previous year's events if there's history and understanding how to collect the data around kitchen waste versus plate waste. All these things need to be thought about at the very beginning, right? Um, because mm-hmm. you need to be able to track what you're wasting and, and how and show results for what you've rescued. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say, you know, put it right into your, put it right into your BO. So everybody knows like, this is the plan, put it right into your request for proposal so that the, the sites that you're working with know that this is a, that this is something that you do, that this is the goal. Um, right. And then sort of take it one step further and, um, have champions on your team, you know, have a, a rep from the server side, have a rep from the chef side, mm-hmm. uh, working together to sort of capture any surplus that you can, um, and, and then have a plan for donating. Right. Um, I always suggest, you know, if you, if you think that there's going to be sort of food at the end of your event, you can always post a donation through our food rescue app, um, 24 hours in advance. Um, and you can always put a note like, uh, you know, approximate, weight may vary coming from an event sort of thing. Um, And many organizations, you know, understand, they understand that, that you don't, 
really know what's going to be left at the end of the night. It's pretty difficult because, yeah. you know, we're, we're uh, hosting events with people and <laughs> there's all, all kinds of factors there. Yes. Um, but knowing that there's likely to be something. And then even if there isn't, you're still building a relationship. You're building a relationship with that organization. Um, so that next time you have an event, you can call them up or you can post again and say like, hey, we, we are going to have um, donations this time or you know, yeah. there's all kinds of other opportunities that come out of a, a community relationship. Like yeah. That. And, and the key is that they're using the app. So I wanted to, mm-hmm. is there like a series of steps you need to have before using the app from a venue perspective or a planner perspective? If someone's new to using it, what, how would you describe it to them in terms of ease of use? Um, sure. Yeah. First time user. It's, it's fairly easy to use. Um, I would suggest, you know, setting it up well before your event. I wouldn't want um, that added stress uh, while you're trying to put an event on. Um, But essentially, uh, you sign up for an account um, at foodrescue.secondharvest.ca. It's completely free. So you you can also, you can use um, the desktop version or you can download it from the app store as well. Um, I always suggest the desktop version. It just has uh, a little bit more um, capability. Um, and then all you have to do is add the location that your event will be at. Um, and kind of the beautiful thing about the app is that you can add as many locations with as many users as you'd like. So if you're, you know, the summer of the summer of celebrations, maybe I'll call it, um, (laughs) you can sort of set your locations up ahead of time with maybe an appointed user at each location. Um, and then they can go ahead and post the donations um, as I said, I usually suggest 24 to 48 hours in advance. Um, it just gives organizations enough time to sort of, if they need to uh, find a volunteer or if they need to put it in their schedule or just um, just whatever they need to, to sort of figure it out in order to get to the event. Um, and I will say, if you have the capacity to, to keep the food until the next morning, you'll probably have more success um, with an organization picking it up the next morning, a lot will come right. in, you know, the night of, but those night of, you know, just like you, you might not know entirely the, the wait. Sometimes it's hard to know when the event will end and, and when all the food will be packed and everything. Mm-hmm. Else, so I guess that to that point, um, as a planner and an event, as a venue, that communication is key. And it starts again at the very beginning with communicating what we're asking, getting everyone on board. Um, And I don't want it to seem like planners, like this is a make work project Mm -hmm. because like with any other vendor that we're dealing with for an event, you got to communicate, right? When you think that you are saying it till you're blue in the face, say it one more time because you want things to move as smoothly as you can. And this food recovery part of your program, it's the same, the same way you have a minute by minute schedule and a show flow and everything like that. You want to make sure you go over things with your venue. Again, to your point with, are they able to refrigerate it overnight or, you know, just asking those questions um, at the very beginning of contracting with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just sort of, there's no such thing as too much communication, right? So just describing the, the donation as best you can and describing the pickup location as best you can. Um, and just, yeah, that just any sort of communication is going to make it better. Um, and then I should mention as well. So once you do, uh, post that donation and then an organization picks it up, you will get, um, a notification just saying exactly who the organization is. 
um, confirming the details as well. Um, so everything is sort of there. And then once the donation is uh, finished, once it's been picked up, um, the organization or the agency is prompted to uh, complete the donation on their side of the app. Um, so as soon as they complete the donation, which is uh, they confirm the they confirm the pounds as well as the food that was donated, um, then you'll see it in your reporting feature. Uh, nice. So you'll see the the number of meals that you've donated, uh, the value of those meals, as well as the greenhouse gases averted. So oh, that's so, very cool. See, yeah. that, that's all part of that impact reporting post event that. <laughs> That those numbers speak volumes to your attendees and stakeholders. And again, going back to creating that legacy of your events, what do you want to be known for, for your three-day, four-day conference? This becomes part of your story and pushes you to do better the next conference, right? Because we always want to improve those numbers year after year once we know what the baseline is. Yeah. And I just sort of had a thought that that would be a great number to add to that whiteboard. You know, oh, last yeah. conference, we were able to avert uh, how however many pounds of greenhouse gases from uh, from donating our surplus or, re- or reducing it. Right. So. Right. If you no, get- that's amazing. Well, you know what? Now that we're back to in-person events, um, we are excited. We haven't used your app here yet at TSCF because everything's been virtual <laughs> for the last little bit. Um but, and maybe I'll drop this here, what we we may or may not be doing an event with you guys at some point. So and we're super excited to, you know, sort through those details with you and tell our listeners about it because I think what helps too is being sort of feet on the ground and seeing how it works. You know, there's something about the behind the scenes tour at a winery or a food recovery warehouse that when you see it and you actually, it hits home, right? You're like, well, this is impactful. And it gives you the little bit more incentive that you may have needed to push forward with the food um, recovery item on your agenda. And you're able to then vocalize it to the powers that be and the stakeholders at your event. So we are really excited to talk more about you guys about with you guys about doing something there. Uh, so listeners, stay tuned. That's kind of sort of a sneak peek you just got inside information. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's wrap this up by challenging the people. Let's, um, we want to challenge all our listeners to sign up, A, for the food recovery app and start using it at your events. And, you know, we always like to end our episodes by asking our guests to give our listeners an action item around whatever it is you want around food waste. So I'll let you go first um, while I think about my action item. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, So I would say start at the top of that food recovery hierarchy uh, where it says um, sort of reduce waste at the source. Um, So I would sort of challenge everyone to see if you can reduce um, just the plate and event waste in general by maybe serving smaller portions or not putting out all the catering items at once. Um, just see what you can divert from the gar- from the garbage without sacrificing service. Yeah. Um, you know, involve your team, make it a challenge. Um, servers love a challenge. Uh, oh as a former server. <laughs> well, and planners too. I feel yes, like we're one of yes. the most competitive bunches out there, right? 
right? Yeah. See, see if you can just reduce your waste from the beginning um, and then sort of track what, what you were able to reduce, because that's going to show you your impact right away. And then of course, the next step would be um, donating any surplus that you do end up with um, because you've already signed up for the app. So you already have it. It's already there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those are great. Um, I feel like for me, so I read a a quote, I have no idea who said this, but it stuck with me. I think it was like yesterday, I was on LinkedIn and I saw it and it said, don't do nothing because you can't do everything. Do something. And I think as planners, we think we have to do everything. You know, we're perfectionists by trade. (laughs) So think about what's in your control. So when you're the planner planning this meeting, what's in control is is the food, right? Working with your venue to Mm -hmm. control that. You can't control how your attendees get to your event and the transportation emissions from that, but you can control what you serve them and how much of that you serve them. So we've all heard about, you know, going with plant-based diets, reducing quantities on buffets. Um, So my action item really is to for planners to not forget that the power does lie really within us to dictate some of how this is going to be for the event to align with your sustainability and food waste initiatives um, and have the confidence to speak on it. And if you're not confident, you call Amy at Second Harvest (laughs) and she's going to walk you through all of that and provide you with some amazing statistics and infographics if you need. So planners, remember you have the power to affect the positive change that we need right now to reduce those numbers. So Amy, I'll leave you, um, I'll let you wrap up with any final thoughts you have and and I'll let you get on with your date because I know... (laughs) (laughs) it's busy for everyone right now I know it's a wild time um yeah thank you so much for for inviting me it's been really great to sort of uh work together we've worked together now a couple of times um happy to continue happy to uh maybe maybe have an event together we'll see yes um and uh yeah happy to support anybody really um in events hotels and sort of beyond who are uh looking to reduce that that surplus looking to donate and you know look to get involved any way you can control awesome. what you can control i like that i yeah, really like yes. that saying yeah yeah it's i have to figure out who said it and give them credit so <laughs> um, i'll look into that well thank you everyone for uh taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast we truly appreciate you our listeners please share this if you feel that there are people within your network that need to hear this and that can impact some positive change. Thanks so much. And I'll be sure to link Amy's LinkedIn profile with the show notes for this, as well as that infographic she spoke to earlier. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Planners for the Planet on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. You can reach out to us by emailing us at info at tsef.ca so that's info at tsef.ca and stay up to date on future episodes and events by following us on all the social media platforms although i will warn you we're not on facebook that much but you can just search for the sustainable events forum and we'll pop up thanks again for listening love to hear from you have a great rest of your day